0: Welcome to Legal Aid of West Virginia's podcast. I am Clint Adams, Legal Director of Legal Aid of West Virginia. In this episode, we will be discussing child support, child support modification, and child custody modification. I wouldn't be much of an attorney if I didn't start with a disclaimer. Legal Aid of West Virginia is a nonprofit law firm providing legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. This podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information all information is current at the time this podcast is published this podcast is scheduled to broadcast on july 2022 and all information is up to date as of that time our guest attorneys are licensed to practice law in the state of west virginia this information relates only to the law in the state of west virginia and is provided for informational purposes only While our host and guest are attorneys and non-attorney advocates, the information presented is legal information and does not take the place of an attorney-client relationship. You should speak with an attorney about your specific situation. As noted, I'm Clint Adams, Legal Director of Legal Aid of West Virginia, and I will be your host today. And today, I'm joined by Molly Russell. Molly works in our Morgantown office. Molly, tell us what you do at Legal Aid of West Virginia.
1: Thank you, Clint. So, my position is a new position. I am the pro bono supervising attorney. Now, what does that mean? haven't figured it out exactly. Like I said, I am new to this position, but basically what it is going to end up being is I will be responsible for recruiting, retaining, and training pro bono attorneys statewide.
0: So, as attorneys, we often talk in Latin just because it's fun. What does pro bono mean?
1: That means, well, all of our services here at Legal Aid are technically pro bono because no one has to pay for it, but we are looking to get private attorneys taking cases on for free. And this helps us in West Virginia because Legal Aid of West Virginia is the only public interest law firm um, that provides civil legal services and divorce, custody, that sort of thing. So it'll help us get more attorneys who provide free services.
0: How long have you been at Legal Aid?
1: I started at Legal Aid in 2018.
0: And what are some other positions you've held at Legal Aid?
1: I, well, I started, first of all, I started actually as an intern back in law school. But fast forward to when I passed the bar, I was the domestic violence attorney in Harrison County. And then I transferred to Morgantown and I did TANF work, which is a a funding program through the DHHR. And then I also did domestic violence work. And then I was just a solely domestic violence law attorney. So I assisted clients who have uh, survived domestic violence in some way, whether that be a custody case, a divorce case, sometimes even um, doing eviction cases. And now I am the pro bono supervising attorney.
0: So for those of you listening, TANF stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. That's available to a number of West Virginians who are eligible for that. We have legal programs to provide legal services for those who are eligible for that. If you are eligible for TANF or if you think you might be, contact the Department of Health and Human Resources. And if you have a legal issue, you can request a legal referral and they can refer your case to Legal Aid of West Virginia. As an aside, Molly, didn't you also uh, lead a task force at one point at Legal Aid?
1: Yes, I was the Family Law Task Force Chair um, for for a brief period of time. I'd say actually, I say brief period of time, but it, it started when COVID started, and at this point, we're going on year year three. So everything, much like everyone else, COVID time is just its own warped time period.
0: So how long have you been practicing law in a normal time period?
1: I started in 2014, so eight years.
0: Eight years you've been practicing law, and during that time, largely a family law practice. Is that correct?
1: That is what I do. Well, that you should
0: is, be, go ahead.
1: That is, Um. Uh, I actually, once I graduated from law school and became barred, I was a supervising attorney in the Child and Family Advocacy Clinic at the WU uh, College of Law uh, Child and Family Advocacy Clinic, and I um, supervised 3, 3L three students as they did cases. So I taught the students how to do the cases, guided them through.
0: And you practice in our Morgantown area. What uh, What's the regional service area for the Morgantown office?
1: So we do Monongalia County, Preston County, and Marion
0: County. And now, uh, what's something that's fun to do in that area?
1: I like to go to the Arboretum, for those of you who know um, Morgantown. It is by the Coliseum. It it is a part a park that's part of WVU. A lot of nice nature trails. You can take your pets there. You can take your children there. They have lots of different events throughout the year. The most recent one we went to was had a lot of insects. So that my son really enjoyed that.
0: Sure. What kind of what kind of insects like? Do you mean like mosquitoes biting you as you walk through the Arboretum no. or do you mean something different? <laughs> no,
1: it was um, it was university students from the program and they brought like a, a walking stick that was in a that was in a tank and they would take it out and you could see it walking. Um, my son didn't want to touch them. Neither did I. So he he, he inherited that from me, I guess.
0: very well well based on what you've told me molly you appear well equipped to answer the questions that we're going to talk about today and to talk through some of the issues relating to child support so let's first start by talking a little bit about child support you have a client that comes in and they tell you um, that, that they have their child their child's been in their care but nobody else is contributing to the care associated with the child what should they do
1: well, I I would hear them say that and then I would have to ask a few more questions to dive down into um exactly what it is they're seeking. If they want child support, then the best way to start things out is to go through the BCSE.
0: What's the BCSE?
1: The BCSE is the Bureau for Child Support Enforcement. It is a division of DHHR, the Department of Health and Human Resources, and you would go to the BCSE fill out some paperwork, and it would start a, a legal case.
0: Okay. And now if if you do that through the Bureau, would that include a custody case or, or no?
1: No. It would just be child support. They would establish paternity.
0: So let's say that paternity hasn't been established. There's no name on the birth certificate then. How does one go about establishing paternity?
1: Well, you would go to the BCSE and name who you believe the father would be. The BCSE would then order. Well, the case would get started, and then they it would be ordered that this person be genetically tested.
0: Now, what if uh, what if the father says, "Yeah, I'm the father. That's uh, you know, I, I know I'm the dad, and and um, she, you know, for whatever reason, my name didn't end up on a birth certificate. How how then can you get a name put on a birth certificate?
1: Well, if it's within a year of the child being born, you can update, a, you can modify a birth certificate and file that with DHHR and get the name added. You The the father would have to sign a paternity affidavit stating that that is who they are.
0: And that information, I believe, is on the Vital Statistics website, um, and you can can get a paternity affidavit there. Does that sound right? Yes. Okay. Um, So now you go to court, you get the court order. Now, do you, do you have to have a court order or could someone say, yeah, that's, that's my son and I'd like to pay some, some money towards the care of my son or daughter?
1: So they would need to, again, that affidavit saying I am the parent and then the court would adjudicate that person as the parent.
0: So if I'm a, let's say I'm a father and I want to provide for my child, but but there's no court order and I haven't been established as the parent. Is there anything that keeps uh, someone in that situation from sending money to support the child or from buying clothes or, or buying food or anything like that?
1: No, absolutely not. You can, you can support your child however you can with whatever means you can.
0: So uh, we talked a little bit about the Bureau for Child Support Enforcement. Um, What other steps can the Bureau take if a, a child support order is put in place and, and, and someone isn't paying.
1: So the BCSE, um, and I'm just going to call it BCSE, Bureau for Child Support Enforcement, what they can do, so if it's court ordered, they can take the money from someone's paycheck. So you don't have to worry about, say you and the other parent do not get along. You don't have to worry about making contact. You don't have to worry about saying, hey, where's my support this month? The BCSE can take it out of the paycheck. They can also go after someone if they are not paying your child support. And that can be done through different ways. They can help they could take money from a tax return. They did even with the stimulus payments.
0: Sure. So so basically they can intercept any government money that's going to someone who owes child support. Because that that that's about the long and short of it, right? Correct. <laughs> now um we talked earlier about child support. Who has to pay child support?
1: A parent needs to pay child support.
0: Right, but a, a grandparent, let's say, they, let's say a grandparent has custody of a child or something like that. Are they ordered to pay child support?
1: No, not unless they've adopted the child.
0: So, so the adoption then makes that child legally yes. your child. You have all the rights, but also all the responsibilities that would come. Is that is that correct?
1: That's correct. So, say, um, you know, Tom is dating Jane, and Jane had Sherry previously, and Tom adopts Sherry, well, Tom and Jane divorce, Tom would still owe a financial obligation to Sherry.
0: Right. Even though that that they weren't biologically the child, right?
1: Correct. Once you do the adoption, you're saying this child is mine, even if they're not genetically yours.
0: Now, are there times that a parent may not be ordered to pay child support or that their child support may be set at a nominal amount?
1: So that, you look at how much parents have the children. Sometimes in 50-50 cases where the parents are making about the same amount of money and, and they have the children about the same amount, child support will not be set. Now, if it's a 50-50 case where mom is making a whole bunch more money than dad ever did, then mom would owe dad some child support.
0: So you, you talked about then one of the factors is how much time the 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 order says that the, child, the children spend with each parent. Um, are there other factors aside from the time that people spend together and, and the uh, amount uh, of money that each party is making?
1: You have to look at the expenses of of the children. So, if one parent is carrying the insurance for the child, that can affect the amount for child support. You can look at um, if one parent is paying daycare costs when the other person isn't. If there's any uh, extraordinary medical bills, that also can be taken into consideration.
0: And are there times that a parent uh, may may not have to pay support, maybe um, if they lose their job? What happens if you don't, what happens if you're not working when they when they calculate support?
1: Well, I would look at first, what is the age of the child? Now, the courts have discretion on this, but if a child is basically four or less, some judges say three, they can say they can contribute no income to the parent who is staying home and taking care of the child. And, and we all know daycare is expensive. Sometimes it, it is more cost effective to keep the child at home. So then they won't attribute any um, income to the parent who's staying home with the child.
0: Okay. What if uh, what if a parent were disabled? Would, would that affect the court's uh, ruling as it relates to child support? Yes. Okay. What, I'm sorry, what kind of proof would it take to prove that you were disabled? I mean, could you just say it or do you need uh, some kind of a doctor's note or what?
1: Well, preferably you would have something from Social Security saying you were disabled. A court wants both parents working, typically, wants both parents supporting the child. So they will need some sort of evidential piece saying this person cannot work. Um, This person is in the process of applying for Social Security. You would need to prove that you are in fact disabled and unable to work.
0: Now what happens if one of the parents were incarcerated at the time that the custody order was entered or or the time support order was entered?
1: That's also a time where child support would most likely be set to zero because you can't really work while you're incarcerated.
0: Now what if someone were incarcerated like Elon Musk and he has a pile of money sitting around and it would continue to make money for him, Would, would the court just say well you're incarcerated so it's no support for you?
1: No, but we we typically don't see Elon Musk types at Legal Aid, nor in West Virginia, <laughs> honestly. Um, but that, that the, I, I'm imagining in, in in this scenario, Mr. Musk will have to continue to pay child support
0: because he has assets that are available that could be used to support the child. Correct. So what do you do if you have uh, if you haven't paid your support? You know, your support's become due and owing, and maybe you weren't we're in a bad spot maybe you'd lost a job or for whatever reason you you become behind on your support um what should you do um, to try to make that right if you're the if you're the person that owes the money
1: well first you do your best to pay it but you have to do what's right for you as well so if you can't pay your child support because you lost your job or um, you've become disabled or or something like that you need to file a modification with the family court to get your child support reduced.
0: So how do you file that modification?
1: So you would go to the West Virginia Supreme Court website. They have the modification paper- paperwork. And also if you go to the legal aid website, we have links up to it as well. So you print that out, you fill it out. And, and I believe it's just a one or two pager. It's not a very long petition. And you just, you file that your income has decreased. Now, the court is going to look for something particularly. It's not just that your income is decreased. They're looking for a 15% change, and that's increase or decrease, but the court looks specifically for that 15% threshold.
0: So, there has to have been a change in what you were making when the order was entered by at least 15%. Is that correct? That's correct. correct. Okay. Um, I would also note that those those packets are also available in your local courthouse, though they may charge you a fee for copying if you happen to not have access to a copier or to a printer to be able to print it from our website or from the um, Supreme Court website. So we talked about that. So what should you do if you if you lose your job um, and, and you were making, you know, I don't know, 10 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour and you lose your job? What should you do?
1: You should find another job. You need to find another job with a comparable amount because the court is going to say, well, you need to find something else. You need to be working. You need to support your child. Um, now, if you were in a position where you're making 70000 a year, the court would view that a little bit differently. You can file for that modification. But once you get a job, you'd have to file to modify again.
0: What happens if you quit your job? What if the you know, the the boss was mean or or something like that and you just decided to quit your job.
1: You get another job.
0: Okay. What what if what if you can't?
1: The court if you quit your job, the court will probably I haven't been in front of the court for a specific quit my job, but I've had people threaten that I'm not gonna work so I don't have to pay as much child support. And I and they have said that in the courtroom. So as you can Correctly predict that did not go well for them. The court wants you supporting your child, so if you quit your job, you need to find another job.
0: Now let's say you lost your job in January. You've been trying to get a new job, and it comes around in June, and you say, "Well, apparently I'm not able to track down a job, Um, so I'm going to go file a custody or a support modification." When you file that modification, will the court go, "Okay, you lost your job in January, so um, so we're going to change support uh, back to January"?
1: You need to file if you lose your income as soon as possible because the court looked at the month that it is filed, just like when the month when it starts, the running total. Um, if, you don't, if you do not file with the court, that's just going to keep adding up.
0: So, so they won't go back and say, let's, let's say you, you ended up in jail in January and you were in jail for more than a year. They won't go back and say, well, we know he was in jail or she was in jail and, and he or she can't make their payments now. And they couldn't make them since January. The, you're saying the court won't go back to when that happened?
1: Not that I've seen.
0: Right. So, um, we talked about, uh, some of the factors that the court considers when they initially set the support award, and then you talked about a 15% change in your income. So let's say your daycare expenses change or your health insurance expenses change, does that mean you can go file a modification?
1: Yes, th- those, are, those are two things that the court looks at. And again, if your child suddenly has a serious illness and there's extraordinary medical expenses, that would be another reason to file for a modification of um, child support.
0: Okay. So we've talked a lot about modification of child support. Um, We we talked about how child support is also based upon how much time you're spending with the child, how much time each parent's spending with the child. What if that changes? How could you modify custody? What are are some factors that the court's going to look to there?
1: So there's one thing in particular that the court looks at for most cases in modification of custody, and that is a substantial change in circumstances.
0: So what does that mean? That sounds like a big, fancy word that was written by a lawyer, to be honest with you.
1: Oh, I'm sure it was. So (laughs) a substantial change in circumstances, you're looking at the child's life and the parent's life and seeing what's going on there. Does one parent want to move out of state? um, Is the parenting plan not being followed at all as, as it was previously? Has another parent started using drugs? Those are the things that the court looks at. It, it, it's not just, well, my child doesn't like going overnights and tells me they don't like going overnights. That's not a substantial change. May not be fun to deal with as a parent, but it is not a substantial change.
0: Okay, so you mentioned if one party moves, though you said out of state. I, that let's say you you know you live in Morgantown. What if someone moves to Mount Morris, which is just over the border there in Pennsylvania? Would would you think that would be considered a substantial change in circumstances?
1: That would not be considered a substantial change in circumstances unless the parent, the court order parenting plan cannot be followed. So you're looking at if you have one parent who gets the child every other weekend, if you move four or five hours away, then that child will be spending 10 hours of the weekend in the vehicle. That would more likely be considered a a substantial change in circumstances.
0: So a move from Morgantown to Princeton would be a substantial change in circumstances, whereas a move from Morgantown to a, a bordering place in Pennsylvania, Uniontown maybe, would not be. Is that is that correct? I understand That's that. That's correct.
1: Think okay. look at the look at the distance. Can you still do this the exact same?
0: Now is there an age that the child gets to tell the court where they want to live?
1: A child, much like parents, never gets to tell the court what to do. And and, and much like they can't tell a parent what to do, Um, but the court will listen to the child at age 14.
0: Okay. So the court won't even necessarily listen to a child until that age. Is that correct?
1: That's not, that's not correct. What the court will do is they will evaluate their maturity level. Um, I mean, that's basically it. They'll evaluate their maturity level. How much, I don't want to say how well-spoken the child is, but can the child articulate their thoughts and feelings? Um, typically, the age is 14. That's where the court really feels like a, a child can, can speak for themselves. But again, it's not what they want. Because sometimes what a child wants in a preference, especially for a teenager, is not what's best for a child. If you have one parent who's not going to make them go to school or have any responsibilities and that's where they want to live, well, that's not in the best interest of the child.
0: So, at the age of 14, then the court still has to make an analysis, no matter what a child recommends, if that recommendation is in their best interest, is that correct? That's correct, correct. Okay. yes. What if, if for some reason, everybody agrees to a modification? What if people change work schedules and, and you call your ex and say, Uh, my work schedule changed. Can we adjust parenting? You were getting Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and now um, I'd like to have Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and and the other parent says, that sounds great. My schedule is flexible, and I can work around that. Um, What happens when that happens?
1: So, in that situation, I suggest that the parents file a joint uh, proposed change, and, and that would basically be one hearing. You would file a filled out parenting plan that you've both signed and notarized. You file it with the court. You go in, you say, this is what we want. And the court says, great, moving on. Why do I recommend for people to go to court when they're getting along with every, when everyone's getting along? Well, because you may be getting along today, but that may not happen tomorrow. And what is in the court order is what stands.
0: So let's. Do you have to go to the court every time you agree to make any change? Let's say one weekend was supposed to be one parent's, and they said, "Well, you you take this weekend, and I'll take next weekend, and and everything will, or you know, we'll just we'll just agree to this." Do you have to go to court for every every little minor change like that?
1: Oh, we would need a lot more legal aid attorneys if that were the case. No, you do not. The court encourages no. They love when parents are able to get along and switch weekends and be kind to each other and, and co-parent. That's what they're looking for, co-parenting. So it doesn't matter if you need to switch weekends. That's, that's, that's a small, basic thing. Now, if it's something where a parent has stopped picking up another child, well, then that's, that's when you need to file for a modification
0: most day-to-day kind of things like that, where maybe you're going to change a weekend to accommodate someone's family reunion or something like that. <clears throat> you're saying there's no need to go to court?
1: No. And in fact, it, that's, that's the kind of thing, you, you want to know your judges, you want to know the people you're going in front of, but if you keep coming in front of the court for something small, they will be frustrated with you. They remember.
0: Now, what happens if it is, say, something small, let's say, you know, you want to switch a weekend and the other side says, no, I don't want to switch a weekend. Then do you have to go to court?
1: You still, as I said earlier, the court order is what stands. So if they don't want to switch, they don't want to switch. However, if there's issues where parents being inflexible repeatedly, something like that, there's typically more going on. So you want to keep track of other issues that are popping up. And if, if there are a bunch of different little issues that keep popping up, then you could file something with the
0: court. Okay, so it's best then if the parties are communicating and working things out, and maybe giving a little here, and and hopefully you'll uh, you'll work together better that way.
1: Yes, and and there is a reason for every custody case that the parent parents are required to do co-parenting. That's what the court wants. They want parents to work together to the best of their abilities. Now, I will say this: if there is domestic violence in your case and you have left an abusive relationship, do not try. If it's going to, um, if it's going to start things up again, if it's going to make it more traumatizing for you, if it's going to lead to any sort of dangerous situation, then then just stick to the parenting plan. Um, do not try to force flexibility.
0: Sure. Now, when you you talked about you make these changes, is there anything that you should do to document that? Uh, you know, even if it's a minor change, especially if you both agree, are there ways you should uh, document that?
1: I would still just write it down um, Just just to keep track, and and if you have a Google Calendar that you use, or if you have a printout calendar, just write it on on your calendar. That way, you can keep track. If something does happen in the future, you can bring that in as evidence. I, I see handwritten calendars in cases a lot of the time.
0: Let's say you have the child more than is contemplated in the parenting plan. Um, i know we've seen a fair amount of those kind of cases at legal aid right so someone will come into us and and they'll say the other party isn't picking up the child uh, when they're supposed to if they're supposed to have a, a good bit of visitation that affects child support that affects stability right it's it's frustrating when you can't rely on another parent to take advantage of their parenting time you talked about those handwritten calendars is that a situation where you'd keep track of of times that parenting was available that another party didn't take So
1: that would that would be one of the times where a court would look at a modification without showing a a change in circumstances. And what you're referring to, Clint, is called a de facto parenting plan. That's what's being followed by the parties. That's what they're doing. So if it's been the de facto parenting plan for a period of six months, you can file with the court to have that put in the court order.
0: So let's say someone comes to to meet with you. They say this has been happening, but they haven't really tracked it. And they say, well, he's had, you know, the other party's had some time, but they haven't had a lot of time. What what would be your advice to them?
1: Well, if they haven't kept track of it, I would I would check and see if they have witnesses who would be able to testify to that being the de facto arrangement. I would also maybe look and see, okay, is this child school-aged? Um, Would the school know? A lot of the times the school can tell exactly which parent a a child has been staying with based on the child's behavior, based on how they're looking. And I, and I, I, for one, I believe that my child, Dacre, can tell when his father dresses him as opposed to me just based on the style selection. So teachers are very smart, but you would want witnesses who can testify to this is what was going on.
0: Well, and you mentioned daycare. I, I'll say that's one piece of evidence I know that I have used as an attorney are those daycare sign-in sheets where the parent who's bringing the child in, uh, whoever the party is, whether it's a parent or some third party, they have to generally sign in to the to the daycare that they brought the child. Um, and a lot of times that can be some evidence you could gather as well.
1: Yes. And, and if, if your child has medical appointments, you'll have the slip from it that they typically have. I, I believe they have sign-in sheets too, or just this, this parent was with the child during it.
0: Sure. Um, any other thoughts about modification or custody before we wrap up?
1: We have another situation where you could potentially file for a modification, and that's when um, the, the parenting plan that has been created, has been court-ordered, it is, has become manifestly harmful to the child.
0: So what does that mean? That also sounds like good, fancy lawyer words, manifestly harmful.
1: You're right. Those are good, fancy lawyer terms. But I I will will give an example. So parties moved three hours away from each other. There was an every other weekend custody arrangement. The child gets car sick very easily. The child has to spend seven to nine hours in the vehicle all weekend and it gets car sick very easily. That's something that a court can do. Oh, that's manifestly harmful. If you have a kid who, who could be sick very easily, that's too much for it. Also, if it's a younger child, too long of a period in the car.
0: So you talked about people moving a couple of times, um, throughout here. If you want to move and you're a parent, do you just get to pack your bags and move or do you have to, um, Let the other side know, let the court know. What do you have to do?
1: You have to. There is a new relocation statute that came into effect in 2021. And what it says is if you're planning to move, you have to file a relocation petition with the court 90 days prior to that move. And then it has to be served on the party 60 days prior to the move. And then 30 days prior to the move, you will have a hearing and the court will get to decide whether or not you get to move. Now, it's not as simple as you go and say, I want to move. Let's do this. And this remember, this is only when you're going to move and it's going to, um, it's a substantial change in circumstance. So it has to be far enough that you can no longer follow the parenting plan. So when that happens, you'll go into court and you'll say, okay, here's why it's better for my child to move and the parenting plan to be modified. We're moving near my family. You'd want evidence that, oh, these schools are better here. Um, everything that you've set up for prepared to set up for the child but i I will say with this new code it's a lot harder to leave
0: sure so um but those moves as you said they don't necessarily count moving across town now do you have to tell the other uh, parent where their child will be if you move across town if you change addresses things of that nature
1: well, it depends on if there's domestic violence involved. If there's domestic violence involved, typically there's a, you know, a meeting point. You don't need to tell them the address. But in most cases, yes, you need to inform the other parent. And and I like to think, and I say to my clients too, notice the shoes on the other foot. Do you want to know where your kid is? Absolutely.
0: So unless there's some kind of a safety issue and the court really excuses you from doing that, what you're saying is you'd have to to tell them when you're moving.
1: That's correct. And, and and also, there is a, in the order, typically, a reporting requirement. When you relocate, you need to tell the parent. Also, you need to send your tax returns. Typically, there's a certain time period. And that's reviewing those tax returns is when you can tell if there's been a 15% increase or de- decrease.
0: Sure. Well, Molly, thank you so much for your time. I appreciated our visit today. I think it was very educational, informative, and entertaining. Thank you for joining us.
1: Well, that's just my tagline in life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that, is that your new life motto? You just walk around and say I'm going to entertain, educate and be informative. It's going to be yep. fun. Very That's well. That's What I do best. <laughs> Very well. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and uh we look forward to our next podcast where we will be discussing some of the things we talked about here today more more in depth, which is domestic violence and domestic violence protection orders. So, thank you for joining us today and we look forward to uh visiting with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes our podcast on child support, child support modification, and child custody modification. Our thanks to Molly Russell for joining us and talking through these issues. If you'd like more information on this topic, you can visit our website at legalawv.org. To apply for services, call 866-255-4370. If you have questions or comments about today's podcast, you can email podcast at lawv.net. Thank you for joining us. This is a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia.